What's going on, food eaters? This is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast and the self-professed prophet of processed foods. Welcome to the monthly podcast. This is episode number 43. In today's show, I address the most dangerous store in America. Most every one of you has been in one. They are all over the place in nearly every town and city. They lure you in with one thing, then appeal to your vices, habits, and appetites to open your wallets further. Only the strongest willpower is successful against their overwhelming influence. For newcomers to the podcast, here's some information about me. I have a 30-plus year background in chemistry education, food testing, and food chemical research. And for much of that time, I've had a fascination, some may call it a morbid obsession, with processed foods, what's in those foods, and how they may be affecting our health. I look behind the commercial food curtain at all of these strange, hard to pronounce, and sometimes dangerous ingredients that wind up in many of the foods stocked on grocery store shelves. This is a 100% free on-demand radio program. Don't even think about sending me money. This podcast has no sponsors, financial supporters, or Kickstarter campaigns. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are mine, and to keep it that way, I don't work with any business, commercial product, or sponsoring organization. All I ask of you is to listen, and if you get informed, educated, or entertained by the content, please let others know through social media or the old-fashioned way, word of mouth. Website and contact information will be provided at the end of the show. Okay, let's dive into today's topic. One day in my wanderings around YouTube, I came across a presentation by Robert H. Lustig, a medical doctor with a specialty in endocrinology and the founder-president of the Institute for Responsible Nutrition. His talk, entitled Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise, intrigued me. He was addressing issues around obesity and the adverse health effects associated with high sugar consumption. I was fascinated enough to check out his books at Amazon. There I found a New York Times bestseller from 2011 entitled Fat Chance. The title kind of put me off a bit since it sounded flippant and not very serious, but I ordered it anyway. As it turned out, reading the book was a life changer since it radically changed my views about obesity and how the body processes food, particularly sugar and fat. I'd always subscribe to the cultural belief of personal responsibility. If you're fat, it's because of what you eat, your lack of self-control, or your unwillingness to become physically fit. Dr. Lustig blew my beliefs out of the water. He wrote that a calorie is not just a calorie, which means that the body doesn't treat a calorie from carbs or fat or protein equally. It all depends on your individual biochemistry, which is a complex affair involving the brain, stomach, intestines, thyroid, pancreas, and liver, plus the intricate communication system of hormones. Not the simple picture of watching what you eat and regularly exercising. I'm not going to take the time here to get into Dr. Lustig's book. 
for the next podcast, I'm thinking of reviewing some key books that I recommend people read to further educate themselves about the food system in this country and how they could defend themselves against it. For now, I'll just quote some thought-provoking statements from Lustig's book. In the United States, quality-adjusted life years lost to obesity have more than doubled from 1993 to 2008. The Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, has documented that Americans have increased their caloric consumption by an extra 187 calories per day for men, 335 calories per day for women. And also for women, what was once a size 10 in 1950 is now labeled a size 6. It stands to reason that what we're eating more of is sugar, specifically fructose. Our consumption of fructose has doubled in the past 30 years and has increased sixfold in the last century. Sugar is the most ubiquitous foodstuff worldwide and has been added to every processed food, limiting consumer choice and the ability to avoid it. Approximately 80% of the 600,000 consumer packaged foods in the United States have added calorie sweeteners. And then lastly, from Justic, you get hooked at an early age and it's harder to kick the habit after years of prolonged usage. That last statement certainly applies to me. I became a sugar addict very early on as a preschooler, and it has plagued me ever since. Nobody talked about the evils of sugar consumption back in the 1950s. I didn't even become conscious of sugar problems until I read the book Sugar Blues in the mid-1970s. But even then, the warnings didn't stick, so I suffered from the health consequences of my bad eating habits into my senior years. Even now, with all the knowledge that I have, I still succumb to cravings and constantly battle against the allures of sweetened foods. So that brings me to the main topic, the most dangerous store in America. If you haven't guessed it already, I'm talking about the convenience store, sometimes called the C-store. They're everywhere. They're everywhere along interstates, within cities and towns, and most likely within or very near your neighborhood. Most of them attract you with gasoline, the siren song. Of course, you need to keep your car fueled up, but they get you to come into the store maybe to pay for the gasoline, or to use the restroom, or to grab something to drink. Once inside the store, your field of vision is opened up to a vast array of hard-to-resist attractions to feed whatever vice or craving you might have. Cigarettes, video gambling, fast food, junk food, alcohol, reading pleasures. How can you possibly escape with just some gasoline in your tank? They call it convenience. Your so-called needs are quickly satisfied by entering a single, small building. How convenient. Of course, in this podcast, I'm just concerned about processed food, so I won't be addressing the other allures of convenience stores. But first, how did these stores come about? 
Let's dig a little into the history of sea stores, then I'll take you on a tour of my own neighborhood pleasure trap. The convenience store industry is ever-growing. Have you noticed that? In 2017, there were an estimated 154,958 stores with a combined sales revenue of $616 billion. Convenience stores sell approximately 80% of the fuel sold in the USA. Most of the profit margin comes from the sales of cigarettes, beer, and liquor. Some of these stores are national, some regional, and some limited to certain states or locales. Here are a few stores that you will probably recognize. 7-Eleven. That's the number one convenience store in the country, and it's owned by a Japanese company. Then there's Circle K, uh, which is owned by a Canadian firm. Family Mart, again by a Japanese company. Mini Mart, also Japanese. And then there's Huck's, Casey's, Quick Trip, and Love's Travel Stops, uh, all owned by uh, USA companies. All these stores tend to maintain low inventories at higher prices than conventional supermarkets, but make themselves attractive to consumers by having longer open hours and faster service. Over 90% of them are open 24 hours. Have you noticed that these stores tend to sell mainly non-perishable items, that is packaged foods, not whole foods? Products with a long shelf life are the rule, and products that can spoil easily are the exception. Often, the product containers are smaller than what are found in supermarkets, so more products can be placed on the shelves, and consumers have the option of purchasing smaller quantities. A little bit of history. In 1913, a Gulf station was the first to sell food in the United States. Later, the first convenience store considered officially the first convenience store, was the Southland Ice Dock, opened in 1927 in Dallas, Texas by Jefferson Green. They initially sold blocks of ice, but expanded the inventory to include milk, bread, and eggs. In the 1940s, the concept began to emerge. In 1946, the Southland Ice Dock changed its name to 7-Eleven. Later, in 1963, a 7-Eleven store in Las Vegas changed its hours to 24-7. The prevalence of convenience stores increased with the passage of the Federal Highway Act of 1956, signed by President Eisenhower, which authorized the National Interstate Highway System and the building of 41,000 miles of new roads. All these new roads brought vehicles from all over the country, and all those vehicles needed an outlet for round-the-clock fuel. Hence, roadside stops were born. From the 1980s to the present, the number of stores increased from 85,300 to 152,794, an increase of nearly 180%. Texas has the most See stores with 15,434. As you might imagine, like every other organization in the country, there is an advocacy group for convenience stores. 
It's called the National Association of Convenience Stores, or the NACS. If you go to their website, you'll see they provide all kinds of information about convenience stores, from industry reports, to equipment reviews, to their own podcast, to training symposia, and classes. Of course, they also have their own trade show, which is happening at the time of the release of this episode. That's in Atlanta, Georgia. About a mile from my home is a convenience store, one of the well-known national chains. I had been there for occasional fill-ups, but always paid at the pump, so never ventured inside to see what they had. I certainly had my suspicions, having been in hundreds of other stores on road trips. I expected a processed food repository containing products chock-full of the three ingredients of the junk food apocalypse, sugar, fat, and salt. I was not disappointed. Let's take a trip. Come with me on a personal tour. I enter the store and turn right and encounter the first of three main aisles. On my immediate right is a freezer case with ice cream. Then I come to a case that holds donuts. As I travel down the aisle on the right side by the windows are lined up 24 unit cases of soda followed by a rack of two liter soda bottles. On the left side of the aisle, I I spot a cardboard stand full of combo stuffed pretzels. Then I encounter a significant section of chips and dips with such recognizable names as Lay's, Ruffle, Fritos, Chester's Puff Corn, Tom's, and Jay's. At the end of the first aisle is a frozen food case with products like pizza. Starting up aisle number two, heading towards the register, there are racks and racks of cookies and crackers, including Oreos, Famous Amos, Ritz, and Cheez-It. Next door to these items are large bags of candy, including Reese's, Haribo's, Swedish Fish, Jolly Rancher, Lifesavers, Hershey Bars, Sweet Tarts, Starbursts, Wrigley Worms, and others. The opposite side of the aisle has candies and gums of all sorts, but in individual sizes. These are followed by dry goods like instant soup containers, spam, microwave popcorn, mac and cheese packages, and cereal. Then there is an end stand with more candy. It has M&Ms and Kit Kat. At the beginning of aisle three are the refrigerated beverage cases containing a variety of bottled waters, sodas, juices, and many kinds of beers. These products occupy about one half wall of the of the store, which is about 15 feet. On the other side of aisle number three are packages of nuts, seeds, Pringles, crackers, pretzels, Chex Mix, chocolate candies, jerkies of all kinds, cereal bars, Pop-Tarts, snack bars, and protein bars like Med Rx. The aisle number three end stands at the back of the store contain more candy bars, gums, and snacks like goldfish crackers, chocolates, and gummy bears. At the front end of aisle number three is an end stand with individual candy bars with a sign that reads, Snickers Satisfies. Two other end stands contain more chips and more donuts and some snack cakes. Continuing on to the register side of the store, 
I encounter the soda station. There are at least 12 taps available for soda selections. Next to the soda station is a slush station with four taps. Next to the slush station is a coffee station with many choices ranging from straight to sweetened options and hot to iced. Across from the soda station is a rack with more chips and cake snacks. Approaching the register, I notice more stacks, for example, smoky links, and then there's a rotisserie of hot and spicy links. The setup is attractive with the suggestion of fresh and tasty food, but oddly, I don't smell a thing. How long have those links been cooking there? Next to the rotisserie section is a small stand containing jerky products. Along the front window and near the door are stands full of liquor and wine. As I head towards the register, I, I notice a cold case holding soda, energy drinks, and water. Right by the register are a selection of energy shots and the one lone fresh whole food in the store, a little basket of bananas. So ends this tour. Since this is a podcast about processed food ingredients, I've selected a few of the convenience store foods that I encountered to take a closer look at. First off is a protein bar called Met RX Big 100 Vanilla Caramel Churro Protein Bar. That's quite a title. Note the RX in the name, suggesting that this snack bar has some medicinal properties. Nice marketing touch. The Big 100 refers to the large size of the bar, which clocks in at 100 grams, or 3.6 ounces. This product falls under the ever-growing sports food market, which targets athletic-minded individuals. Here's what the manufacturer has to say about their products. Besides the well-documented risks of excessive sugar consumption, there are reasons your snacks should be heavier on proteins than carbs. Number one, makes you feel full. Research shows that adequate amounts of protein uh, are closely linked with higher levels of satiety, the feeling of being full. On the other hand, salt and simple carb-heavy snacks like chips will have you looking for more food soon after. Number two, low in calories. Even though protein-based foods with adequate amounts of protein can help make you feel full, they may not always come with the high calorie count of many popular snacks. Number three, convenient. That's a good word. Considering the hectic pace at which today's top performers move, it's tough to regularly eat snacks that require lots of preparation. The best snacks do right by both your body and your schedule. And finally, four, great tasting. Snacking with nutrition in mind doesn't mean you have to force yourself to consume bland foods. Okay, how many ingredients would you guess that this health bar contains? Five, 10, 20, 30? Nope, you're way off. This bar has 46 ingredients, with 25 of them, or 54%, being highly processed. Imagine trying to make this snack in your kitchen. 
I won't bore you by reciting all 46 ingredients, but here are some of them that appear on the label. Soy protein isolate, tapioca starch, soy lecithin, maltitol syrup, milk protein isolate, glycerin, sodium phosphate, corn syrup, whey protein isolate, brown rice syrup, canola oil, brown sugar, dipotassium phosphate, soy lecithin, and fructo-oligosaccharides. Here's a new ingredient never before discussed on the podcast. I looked up this class of chemicals in a consumer's dictionary of food additives, my favorite resource. Fructo-oligosaccharides, well, that's a great name to... uh, a chemist to pronounce, are carbohydrates less sweet than sugar, but which have the property of a prebiotic. That is, they are not digestible in the large intestine, so they act as a fiber. They taste somewhat sweet, but they don't add calories. They do occur naturally in tomatoes, onions, and bananas, but likely the ingredient in this bar has an industrial or synthetic origin. How does this protein bar stack up nutritionally? Each bar has 380 calories. That doesn't sound low-cal to me. Uh, It's about 19% of the low end of the daily calorie recommendation of 2,000 calories. And there's 26% of the calories coming from fat. Now, of the 11 grams of fat in the bar, 7 grams, or 64%, are from saturated fat. There are 450 milligrams of sodium, which is about 20% of the daily limit. The carbs come in at 47 grams, or 49% of the total calories. Of the 47 grams of carbs, 22 of them are sugars, which means 22% of this bar is composed of sugar. How much protein is in this protein bar? Protein is the highest macronutrient at 30 grams, so 30% of this bar is protein. How does that compare to a 100-gram hamburger, for example? A cooked plain hamburger has about 25 grams of protein, so this bar really is high protein. However, much of the protein comes from highly processed and industrialized food sources such as soy protein isolate, whey protein concentrate, whey protein isolate, and milk protein isolate. Lastly, the bar has only one gram of fiber, which is a black mark against healthy digestion. That's only 4% of the recommended daily amount. Another snack to look at is Combo's Pizzeria Stuffed Pretzel, made by the Mars Company. According to the manufacturer, Combo's baked snacks are a delicious and indulgent treat that can be enjoyed as part of a balanced and healthy lifestyle. Now, that's a nice statement, but I doubt that they have any data to back it up. This product has 36 ingredients, with 23 of them, or 64%, being highly processed. The first ingredient is wheat flour, which is a very generic term. 
It doesn't tell you whether the ingredient is white flour, whole wheat flour, or a combination. My guess is white flour, since snack companies like Mars tend to make their products as cheap as possible. The second ingredient is oil, which suggests that the fat content may be high. We'll see. There are some hidden sweeteners in these pretzel snacks, such as maltodextrin and dextrose, so they should show up on the nutrition label under the sugar content. The colorings and flavors are a combination of artificial and natural ingredients. The artificial colors include yellow five lake, yellow six lake, red 40 lake, and blue one lake. The term lake indicates that a solid form of the color is being used. Metals such as aluminum, strontium, barium, and zirconium are used to make the solids. According to my source, again, a Consumer's Dictionary Food Additives, the lake form of yellow 5 and red 40 is only to be used in drugs and cosmetics, not foods. Half of aspirin-sensitive people are sensitive to yellow 5 dye. The yellow 6 dye can induce allergic reactions. There are several artificial flavor agents in this product that most people are probably not aware of. Disodium anosinate and disodium guanylate. The first chemical is only effective in the presence of monosodium glutamate, which is MSG, which does not appear on the label. However, the product does contain hydrolyzed soy protein, which is a source of MSG. Turning to the nutrition chart, a one ounce or 28 gram serving contains 130 calories. There are five grams of fat per serving, which amounts to about 18%, a fairly high percentage. Of the total amount of fat, 60% of it comes from saturated sources. There are 310 milligrams of sodium per serving, as we know, most snacks are high in sodium because that gets people eating more. If you had, say, three servings of the snack, then you would be consuming 930 milligrams of sodium, or about 40% of the daily limit. As expected, since the first ingredient is wheat flour, the carb content is high at 19 grams per serving. So carbs are 68% of the total. The sugars are 4 grams per serving, or 14% of the total. Of course, dietary fiber comes in at a bare 1 gram, insufficient to be of much help to the digestive tract. Lastly, let's take a look at Swedish fish, just because I like the name and how the candy looks. There are 13 ingredients in this gummy confection, 11 of which, or 85%, are highly processed. This is the best example of an industrial food so far. It's mainly sweeteners, starch, flavors, and coloring agents. There are three forms of sweeteners in the product, sugar, corn syrup, and invert sugar. Another new ingredient. Invert sugar has not been seen before in the podcast. Invert sugar is derived from table sugar or sucrose by heating a solution of table sugar with a weak acid, like citric acid. The sucrose breaks down into its constituent parts, glucose and fructose, in equal proportions. The water mixture is slightly sweeter than table sugar alone. 
Usually invert sugar is stored as the syrup derived from the conversion process. Honey is mostly invert sugar, so this product is useful as a honey replacement. The shininess and slickness of the gummy candies comes from mineral oil and wax, from carnauba wax or beeswax. Mineral oil is a rather strange ingredient to be found in food since it is derived from petroleum, but the FDA allows the use of it in small concentrations. The worst part of this candy, in my opinion, is the use of the four artificial dyes, red number four, yellow number six, yellow number five, and blue number one, which give the pieces their characteristic colors. Finally, there's not much to say about the nutritional content of Swedish fish. Each eight and a half gram piece has 28 calories. 85% of those calories come from carbs. Each piece has 5.6 grams of sugar, or 66% of the candy is sugar. There is zero protein and zero fiber. Let's summarize. The title of this episode is The Most Dangerous Store in America. I chose that title because, on an individual and societal level, there is no greater threat to our health than the processed food system that most every American is exposed to on a daily basis. Every year, more research studies expose the truth of that statement, that a glut of readily available and cheap industrialized and synthetic foods are undermining our health with threats of chronic conditions like type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, that's high blood pressure, blood lipid issues, and obesity. If you have three of these conditions, then you've got the rather ill-defined problem of metabolic syndrome, an indicator of bad health, and a future threat of a short life. Compounding the problem is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. I recently posted an article about that at the Facebook page, and it's a deadly disorder. Males with metabolic syndrome are seven times more likely to have fatty liver disease. We need to face the fact that we are living in a toxic food environment, causing our biochemistry to be out of whack. I can't think of anything more emblematic of this situation than the convenience store. These stores are packed to the gills with wall-to-wall, highly processed junk foods. They appeal to our unconscious impulses. Everywhere you walk in a convenience store, you are faced with products that are not good for you. They grab our attention, and in weak moments, we reach out for them. Let's review my quick tour through my neighborhood convenience store. Here's what I encountered as I walked up and down the aisles. Ice cream, donuts, soda, stuffed pretzels, potato chips, corn chips, puff corn, pizza, cookies, crackers, candy bars, hard candy, gummy candy, gums, cold sodas and beers, snack bars, energy bars, pop-tarts, fountain drinks, and sweetened coffee drinks. I came across only one whole food, which was at the register, bananas. In my view, one definition of a convenience store is a repository of industrial foods full of sugar, fat, and salt that appeal to our bad eating habits. So, what to do? On a personal level, when I'm on a road trip and need to use a bathroom, I stop at rest areas, not convenience stores. There, I only have to avoid vending machines. 
Now, if I need to fuel up at a gas station, I pay at the pump and don't go into the store. Even, even if they are advertising their wares on a TV monitor above the pump. If I really need to use the facilities, I enter the store and head straight back to the restrooms, then exit quickly the same way. Only on rare occasions will I purchase some water. On a societal level, in the city that I live in, over the last several decades, grocery stores have been disappearing for a number of reasons. My city has about 80,000 people, but now there are only five standalone grocery stores plus three big box stores like Target and Walmart, which also have grocery sections. There used to be over 10 standalone grocery stores in my city. None of the existing grocery stores are in poor neighborhoods. People in those places must travel some distance to get fresh and whole foods or succumb to the junk food in the many convenience stores that dot their area. You may have heard of the phrase food desert, used to describe places where it is becoming increasingly difficult to find fresh, healthy food. This is a trend of our society, and it's not looking good. Junk food palaces like convenience stores are on the rise, while full markets with fresh goods are on the decline. Those changes correlate with the rise of lifestyle diseases with the attendant expensive health care and insurance rates. What are we to do? I suggest you read Dr. Lustig's book, Fat Chance. Uh, he has suggestions to promote major changes in our society, but really what it comes down to is facing down the boogeyman. Like the campaign against smoking, we have to make the eating of highly processed foods full of sugar, fat, and salt as unappealing as possible. Otherwise, the current generation will not live to the ages of their parents, and they will suffer the scourge of terrible lifestyle diseases. We must make highly processed and fast food the boogeyman in our culture and shun it. To end on a positive note, there are things that can be done but they will require national commitments and a few draconian laws. Other countries are leading the way, for example, from a New York Times article entitled In Sweeping War on Obesity, Chile Slays Tony the Tiger, comes this quote. The Chilean government in 2016, facing skyrocketing rates of obesity, is waging war on unhealthy foods with a phalanx of marketing restrictions, mandatory packaging redesigns, and labeling rules aimed at transforming the eating habits of 18 million people. Nutrition experts say the measures are the world's most ambitious attempt to remake a country's food culture and could be a model for how to turn the tide on global obesity epidemic that researchers say contributes to 4 million premature deaths a year. Since the food law was enacted two years ago, it has forced multinational behemoths like Kellogg to remove iconic cartoon characters from sugary cereal boxes and ban the sale of candy like Kinder Surprise that uses trinkets to lure young consumers. The law prohibits the sale of junk food like ice cream, chocolate, and potato chips in Chilean schools and proscribes some products from being advertised during television programs or on websites aimed at young audiences. Beginning next year, that would be 2017, such ads will be scrubbed entirely from TV, radio, and movie theaters between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. 
In an effort to encourage breastfeeding, a ban on marketing infant formula kicks in in the spring. Still craving Coca-Cola and chili, beverages high in sugar include an 18% tax, which is among the steepest soda taxes in the world. The linchpin of the initiative is a new labeling system that requires packaged food companies to prominently display black warning logos in the shape of a stop sign on items high in sugar, salt, calories, or saturated fat. In another example in 2017 in Peru, the Ministry of Health published a warning manual for food labeling under the law on the promotion of a healthy diet. The manual establishes detailed specifications for the inclusion warnings on the front of packaged labels of products that exceed the limits for salt, sugar, saturated fat, and trans fats that were established in the law. Other countries are taking steps to protect the public from unhealthy diets. Why can't we? Well, it's time to close this episode. Uh, To all you food eaters out there in podcast land, I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you have a little more time, I'd greatly appreciate a review, good, bad, or indifferent, at the iTunes store. You can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed in their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or just by Googling Food Labels Revealed. And of course, you can always listen to the podcast on your smartphone or tablet by downloading a podcast app like Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or a host of others, too numerous to mention. If you have a question or a comment on anything about food ingredients or this podcast or, or just want to say hello, drop me a line at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. That's foodlabelsrevealed, all one phrase, at gmail.com. If you think your family, friends, coworkers, or acquaintances might be interested in this podcast, tweet or post a link through your social media outlets to get the word out. Don't forget that the references provided in this podcast are available in the show notes located at the Podbean Hosting website. Lastly, I have a Facebook page that is an adjunct to the podcast. Several times per week, I post news items related to food ingredients, processed foods, and food trends. Just search in Facebook under Food Labels Revealed Podcast. And please give it a like when you get a chance, and feel free to comment and share. Next month, I'll be back to do a show on books I recommend to educate yourself on the American food system and how to protect yourself from it. Please stay tuned. Until later, always remember, if you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. The outro music piece is a clip from Teddy Bear Waltz, composed by Kevin McLeod. Thank you.